Hello and welcome to episode 193 of the amazing Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie films to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to... F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Yes! <laughs> I am Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director, producer. I'm Robbie McCain, director, producer. Today I am so delighted. We are talking to Shackhead Berenson. He is a sales and distributor, but he went from UCLA to bartending, from being a PA to being a film producer. He co-founded Epic Pictures, and he bought Dread Central, and he set up The Horror Collective. What is going on? We've got like two masterclasses in a row. Last time we had pitching, elevator pitching, with uh, John Liversay and Aaron Scotty, and now we've got the do's and don'ts of distributing. Find the best sales companies and avoid those industry shocks out there. That's what Shackard is going to be talking to you about today. He also talks to us about who your audience is. He also talks about foreign sales, the difference between that and an aggregator. It's incredible. And then he does a deep dive on marketing. At what point should you get a distributor involved in your marketing, especially your social media? How to avoid clashing what message you're trying to put out there with your film. Like Robbie said, this is a mini masterclass. It's not even a mini masterclass. This is a major <laughs> masterclass from someone who does it as a job. Sales and distribution. Honestly, this is what all filmmakers should know. This is how you get your film out into the world. So if you do like this and you did learn from this, jump on our socials and tell us how much you love us because it means a lot to us, especially because we're busy people and we like it. It looks good. We like it. Uh, so go on to at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter and we're now on Instagram as well, The Filmmakers Podcast. Um, and you can go on our website, thefilmmakerspodcast.com, where you can find all about catalogue of amazing episodes, including the one Robbie just said there with Aaron, Scotty and... John Liversay, all about pitching your movie. And not only that, we're going to have a bonus episode this week for all our Patreon subscribers oh. out there, featuring Shackhead on a special segment where he specifically talks about lawyers and working with agencies and, you know, more tactics you can use to get the best platform and release strategy for your film. So if you're not already a Patreon subscriber, do jump on. It's as much as a cup of coffee and it helps the podcast. It helps us keep going because that's so important. But also there's even more information for you as filmmakers. Last, uh, The last one that's just gone up, Robbie, we talk about, you ask me about... Approaching your script and what you look for and how you then use that as a kind of blueprint to plan out what you're going to shoot. We've also got some other episodes coming up. We've got one where we chat with Dom Lenoir about shooting on a COVID safe set. Speaking of which, I'm about to do that, Robbie. I'm about to jump on a COVID set film. What a segue that was. My latest feature film uh, is a week away from filming actually over the moon to be making this amazing thriller based on a best-selling novel hasn't been announced in the trades yet but i can tell you lot because you're my friends and uh you're the best you deserve to know and you probably won't tell anyone will you so this is an interesting one for you Giles, because you're kind of like you're sort of like a king of horror in a way i mean you did the dare obviously wow. which is out now wow <laughs> I'll, take it. I'll take it. So The Dare, which was just yeah. released for Halloween, is doing really well. You Obviously, that's your directorial debut. You also mm -hmm. produced A Serial Killer's Guide to Life, which came out earlier this year, which is a kind of horror mm -hmm. black comedy. But then you've did something a bit different with Arthur and Merlin, which is obviously like a period action adventure film. 
Um, that came out earlier this year as well. I mean, this is kind of your year, really. I mean, you're just making film after film. What's going on? And it, now you're doing it, a, you... a best-selling sort of romantic thriller. Yeah, it is. Give us more it's details. <laughs> thriller. Yeah, I will. I will. Thank you, Robbie, for that actually really kind uh, introduction to my films. Also, in the middle of that was Bullets of Justice as oh, well. Oh, how could we forget Bullets can... of Justice? How's it's out bonkers. now. It's out now. It's bonkers. It's out now. It's out now in the USA and Canada. And we've just pulled it from UK because we've got a distributor involved in, in the UK as well and it stars Danny Trite absolutely bonkers myself and Julian Kostoff came on to co-produce at the end because they needed help with sales and distribution getting it out there and we got it to the Horror Collective which is our guest today Shaked Berenson and uh, he then distributed it around the world and it's doing really really well in America because it's batshit crazy mm. it's batshit look it's at the two words mutant pigs set in World War 3 but amazing you know it's it's been has been an amazing year for my films coming out but it's been a, a real grind to get there it's been 10 years of a grind to even get to this stage mm. so uh, it's a it just shows you perseverance and hard work does pay off so filmmakers out there you're feeling tired now or it's hard because you're going through tough times and how do you even get your script to anyone who wants to read it right now it can happen things can move forward absolutely yeah, and I was lucky enough to be asked by uh, Dean Fisher and Terry Dwyer to come and direct uh, this feature film called The Stranger in Our Bed based on the best-selling novel we are pretty much all cast now few little roles to go it's really exciting it's really cool thriller it's basically about a woman woman who's uh, in a marriage and she's not particularly happy and she falls in love with this guy uh, totally falls in love and she tells tells her husband she's leaving him mm. and she's in a really you know it's fancy he's got a lot of money and she goes to to meet this the guy she's in love with the next day and he doesn't turn up all is not what it seems yeah. it's definitely not what it's, it seems uh, I mean it's um, kind of got a Hitchcockian kind of angle to it yeah I'd say yeah having, absolutely having read sort of a very very early draft um, I did. It's got similar tones. Bay of Silence, which Caroline mm -hmm. Goodall was yeah. on talking about recently. So many really cool thrillers. I'm shooting that next. I start on Monday. Um, so Robbie, I imagine, will be sort of much more heavily involved in the next uh, <laughs> month of this podcast. Though, what I might do is I'll be taking the mic with me. I'm sure on set I can talk you through what I did that day I, I, why not let's see how I feel on mm. Monday if not it'll be Robbie doing the intro um, well I'm looking forward yeah. to you know more of your on set diaries in whatever form they take you know we'll see thank you it, it might just be me calling again record this <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but we shall see so there is that so that is to look forward to I do have some shout outs before we get to the amazing episode with the incredible Shaked Berenson who gave us so much of his time so shout outs for the amazing people last week you loved last week's episode about pitching if you haven't listened to that go listen it's amazing so shout outs to Mother Tongue the award that Jack Tarling has set up go check that out if you haven't amazing um, uh, opportunities for filmmakers who are making a film not set in the English language Jack Tarling has set that up specifically for you know, like Welsh projects or Farsi or any other kind of languages. Can't think of any more, can you? Brilliant. Urdu. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well done. And they're all set in the UK. I think it's got to be set in the UK. So look that up. Mother Tongues. Well, link will probably be in the show notes. Christian Debney, uh, shout outs to you. Thank you. Luke Ibbotson, Lincoln Fenner, Abid Khan, Tobias Baroth, John Sadler, Louise Salter, Robbie Martin, and Kiri Nallis. Uh, there you go. Thank you so much for all your love. If you want your name read out on this podcast, give us some love. At Filmmakers Pod on Twitter. Amazing. Right. Should we get to it, Robbie? Let's get to it. Let's get to Mr. Shackard Berenson. 
How are you doing, buddy? You all right? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. It's good to see a friendly face. Thank you for taking the time. I know it's, uh, it's a Sunday. No, my pleasure. Honestly, it's great to talk to someone like you. I think it's really interesting for our listeners to hear someone who understands both sides, who's produced and also understands the distribution and the sales arm. I think it's vital for, for filmmakers to know that and what works. I had the pleasure of throughout my career to be in, in every side of the negotiation from, you know, being a PA all the way up to, you know, coming up with an idea, getting it written or whatever, buying the IP, getting it made, finance, selling it, distributing it, putting the DVDs on shelves at Walmart, you know, everything in between. But how did you even start doing that in the first place? What made you want to do that? Because it's, that's a tough job. Yeah, well, funny enough, I actually didn't, I wasn't born here, as you can probably hear from my accent. I was born in the East Coast, but I grew up in, uh, in Israel. And then I came back to the US, I came to LA to go to UCLA. I didn't come here to be a filmmaker, I didn't come okay. to be a producer or, or anything like that, um, ironically. And I was looking for a job as a bartender because, you know, I was a young man in a city. I'm sure there was a few around. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it's a great job for nights and weekends, you know, while I go to school. And I couldn't get a job as a bartender. So I started working as a personal assistant to a film producer. And 20 years later, made, uh, I don't know, 40 movies, two TV series. How did you get that personal assistant job though? What was it? I mean, going from a bartender to being a personal assistant for a film producer, people would be screaming again, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that, yeah. So it was a bit of a cheat. So the reason I got a job is because he recently, I mean, back then recently, bought a mansion up on the hills and um, his contractor was Israeli. Right. So he was looking for somebody who can speak Hebrew and monitor and figure out, you know, who against who and what's against what. So I was actually hired mainly, and initially I was really dealing a lot with his personal stuff, dealing with remodeling his, his house. Uh, then he bought another fourplex, then we bought an, an uh, office building. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was working with those. Uh, I was basically working very closely to uh, Michel Benezra. I don't know if people know his name, but he used to be engaged to Sharon Stone and wow. uh, used to be one of the owners of uh, the Guest label. Uh, yeah. So I consider him a bit of a mentor for me. He taught me a lot of things, but my boss really treated me like a son he didn't have at the time. Uh, now he has a kid, but they, and now you're, you're on the scrap heap. He's like, Natch, your kid, you're done yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I was on. really involved with everything. And slowly or quickly, I got a lot of different additional responsibilities. It was like, mm -hmm. Ah, these guys don't know what they're doing. Like, here, Shaked, you tell me what you think about this script, right? So suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm doing coverage and doing scripts. And I remember I used to read um, down on Santa Monica in the stop and go. I used to have the script on my steering wheel. Like, I was probably reading 150 scripts a month or something wow. like that. And then the marketing person left. So I was like, well, Shaked can do marketing. So I was doing marketing. The servicing post and servicing person left. So now I was doing post. Then we we're going to Cannes together. And, you know, in between, it's like, ah, you're not doing anything, like, you know, take some meeting, try to sell movies. So now I'm doing foreign sales. So really quickly, I, I learned everything from on set and behind the camera, obviously, and, and on the business side, it was a, a very good school. Until at 2007, I graduated from UCLA finally and started my own business. I, I co-founded a company called Epic Pictures, uh, mainly mm -hmm. starting uh, doing foreign sales, uh, but I was also producing. And at some point started a distribution company. Then all along during this time, I was also getting my MBA at UCLA. So I was, I was continuing my education. 
and I bought a website called Red Central and merged it with um, Epic and then sold um, this bundle of companies. It's pretty in impressive. 2018. Beside that, I've been for, I believe, three or four rounds, a board member at IFTA, the Independent Film and Television Alliance. Mm -hmm. For people that don't know, it's the, the nonprofit that advocate for independent film companies and also runs the American film market or AFM which I'm sure is going to come back in the conversation later. Got hope. Yep, of course. Even though I'm not a lawyer, I've been on the legal committee for uh, going over for 13 years now and on the export committee. And yeah, and, and doing a lot of traveling, both for production and, and for foreign sales. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I used to, at the beginning of my career, to travel probably about 50 to 60% of the time. So, for example, I would go to Hong Kong in March for film art, but then I would go to Israel, visit my family and stay in Europe go to Turkey and Greece, and from that to uh, MIP, MIP TV in Cannes, mm -hmm. then go to uh, back to the States, then two weeks before Cannes, back to Europe, then do an Eastern European trip. So every year I went to Warsaw and uh, Bucharest and finished in Budapest for DSCOP, which is a, telev a local television market. So I, I, I really kind of gapped all those markets. And I think it's very important and I was very lucky to be able to do that, to be single and to, to have the ability to basically travel and meet people at their offices because people think the film markets are, are be all and all of film distribution and mm -hmm. film sales. The problem is that when you go to a market like the American film market or Cannes or Berlin, those are major markets and the buyers usually have meetings either every 15 minutes or every half an hour. Uh, which also include going to the next meeting. So basically you end up having 10 minutes with the buyer while they're, you know, doing the thing that they're answering for offers or- got their brains full of all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's almost impossible. When you go and visit Mediaset in Spain, they're like, ah, oh, the American coming and let's take you for lunch and let's show you the facility. And you know, this is my office and this is my colleague. Yeah. And, and you know, when you spend two, three hours with them and then, you know, that's really where you build the relationship. So I, mm. I took, very much um, the time to build a television relationship, mm -hmm. which ended up being very valuable because all those TV stations started to have their own VOD component for transactional. Mm -hmm. You know, in the UK, you have Sky VOD. I mean, if people remember, there was ketchup service, right? So it was basically AVOD, but nobody yes. knew, nobody used the term FVOD or AVOD back then, it was ketchup. Those platforms started to have their own SVOD. I was able to build those relationships before the business changed so much, but it was changing within those companies, of course, with addition of players like Apple, Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon. So, yeah. but they're not on, the only players, right? I mean, nowadays, especially after Corona, it seems like every company does everything, right? I mean, what do you do? I do production, distribution, financing, sales. I have an OTT mm -hmm. channel, I do linear now, because now the money is back on linear. So yeah, it's a very exciting time. You go to sleep in the evening, by the time you wake up, the industry is completely different. But most of the people are the same people. The audience is the same audience, right? So maybe they're changing a little bit their habits, but what they're looking for in the audience behavior stays fairly similar. That's so interesting and very true. We'll come back to that in a little bit. After 2018, after you'd, um, you bought Dread and you Epic was part of Dread and Epic, you then set up the Horror Collective, which yep. is where we met uh, because you distributed The Dare. And we will come circle all the way back to that. But I want to jump back to the beginning a little bit because I find it fascinating, so do our listeners, I imagine, of how and why and what happens at these markets, why films 
get sold. And why at the very beginning? For you, because our paths crossed in 2010 with a film called The Possession of David O'Reilly, which I starred in back when I was acting. It was a horror movie that you picked up for Epic. And I suppose with that as an example, because it was quite early on, in the career of Epic, of your production company you yeah. set up. And why take a film like that? Why take any film? And also, what was it you wanted to do with Epic? What was the aim? And why should you set up a, a production company like this for the aim to distribute movies? Well, obviously, you, you live in Los Angeles and you want to make movies, right? Sure. So uh, even though I, I didn't come here to be an actor, and I came because I have, I have some remote family here and I wanted to go to UCLA because one of the top... Um, schools for business and economics, which, which are my majors. Mm -hmm. You still hear your friends are in the industry, you know, you get caught up with it. And also I was actually, you know, I was an AV geek, right? So I was one of the kids that had a mini TV cam and we used to, you know, went to our parents' room and did the whole James Bond with the cat, you know, turning Amazing. around. And, and yeah. uh, I remember a friend of mine in Israel in Haifa, uh, lived a few blocks from me and funny enough he ended up going to Harvard and, and he's in Silicon Valley right now but he said that last time that it was home he found a DV tape that says SNS which is our names right like his name is Saki and SNS and uh, yeah we, we used to build stuff with Lego and I remember he used to always steal the, the VCR from his home and bring it to my place and you know we, you plug the AV and, and you just like play record play record play record that was our editing right play record play record yeah. so the last movie I shot, I was talking with uh, our editor, wonderful editor, wonderful director uh, and writer, uh, Stephen C. Miller. And he told me that uh, Final Cut actually listens to our takes and it, 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 it sees the slate and it records the, the sound guy slating it and it organized the whole... Sings it all. It yeah. sings the whole thing. And I think like, wow, like, you know, we've seen, you know, the, the 40 odd years that I, I am alive. You know, we went from this, you know, yeah, trying, to, trying to like, ah, you, you punch it, you need to start over, to, uh, <laughs> to have anybody that, you know, can pay $45 to mm -hmm. have a software that basically, you know, listens to 100 hours of footage and just organize it. So I think it's a really interesting and exciting time. So I, I was mm -hmm. in theater, I was, I was acting in theater, believe it or not, uh, but definitely I didn't think, you know, this is what, you know, I want to do for a living and this is how, you know, I didn't think it was something you can do for a career, right? Uh, maybe mm. people grew up in Los Angeles, they know so many people that are in the industry, uh, but, you know, growing up in Israel, it's, you never meet anybody who's in the industry. But the money yeah. is in foreign sales, right? The money is in sales. You take a movie like Possession of David O'Reilly, right? That somebody else worked on for three, four years, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody else put, um, I don't remember what the budget is, but it's fun footage. So, you know, it's probably two or three or, or half a million. It was, uh, yeah, it was around 200, something like yeah, that. Yeah, somebody That's else took all that risk, right? Yeah. All that time, right? And then they give it to us, right? It's a file <laughs> and a poster. <laughs> And then yeah. we go out and we sell 400 grand or whatever it is. We take 25 or 20% commission, make 80 grand for, you know, a year worth of work while you work on other things. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, it's, it's a wonderful place to be, you know, to make money mm -hmm. and also to make relationship, right? Because when, when you're in the foreign sales and we talk with distributors, uh, you know what they're looking for. You start understanding the value of specific genres of um, cast, directors, understanding the cyclicality is very important. I find a lot of filmmakers, I don't think they're aware that, yes, it takes four years to make a movie. Sometimes it also takes four years to release a movie, right? You need to give people the time 
to review, consider, you need to do the festival run, you need to prep the marketing, See, you need to do yeah. PR. You know, you can't just like, oh, we released the trailer. You know, a lot of filmmakers do this mistake that they get into a festival. It could be a huge festival, you know, it can be Sabasafes, or it can be a small festival. And then they release their poster, they release a the trailer, they do this, mm -hmm. they send screeners to everybody, and they really kind of botch their own film. And just to jump on it, what happens, what's the issue with them doing that? So people now listening go, because most people want to show off their film, you know, in a good way. They want to go, we've got a trailer, we've got a poster, let's get it out in the world. People will know about it. Don't, don't do what, that. Yeah, tell, <laughs> tell them why. First of all, one metaphor is going to the pharmacist and just picking up all those drugs and start popping pills, right? You need to ask the doctor, right? Go to a professional. You're a professional filmmaker. You're in the third movie, fifth movie, tenth movie, doesn't matter. What you specialize is in developing, getting the money and making a movie. There are people that selling, doing PR and releasing movies, right? And a lot of time people are like, well, you know, and, and I appreciate it. And we work very, very close, as, as you know, with the filmmakers, because we think mm -hmm. that the filmmakers has the most intimate knowledge of, of the movie, right? But let the people that do that every month, every week, you know, people that, you know, listen, you know, I worked on 300 and something posters, like, uh, you have some knowledge, right? So you need to go to the doctor. It was like, which one of those pills I should take, right? Go to the so, expert, right? Go to the expert, right? So yeah. you can spend your time and your energy doing the next thing, which is developing and making the next movie. The second thing, and, and you know, I'm going to use my military, I guess, uh, my military pass, is mm. that you don't have, especially as an independent filmmaker, you don't have a lot of ammunition, right? You, you have the poster, you have the trailer. You have your trailer exclusive, your poster exclusive, mm -hmm. you have some BTS maybe. But basically, beside your premiere trailer poster, a release date announcement, acquisition announcement, you have basically seven bullets, right? That's your right. ammunition, right? Mm -hmm. So if you just use four of them and then you go and say, Shaked, you know, try to make the most money for me and, and put it on most screens and get the most money, but you already gave away, you know, all of the milk, like what are you selling here? You know, mm. you just come with a cow that's, you know, already been milked and you go like, try to squeeze something from me. It's annoying because basically by then everyone's seen the trailer. They think it's already come out, which has kind of happened with Bullets of Justice, which is a movie that I'm co-producing with Julian Kostov, producer of The Dare, and Shaked is distributing it with Jonathan at the Horror Collective. And obviously in 2017, 2018, they put the trailers out and it's very been more difficult for them to go oh, here's the trailer again, because people go, hey, didn't this come out three years ago, right? And then people go, I think, feel like I've seen this movie. So it's harder for you, I suppose, I take it. It's much harder, and uh, there is so much information out there between Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb, and they always put like this little parenthesis with the year. And it's always a fight because, mm. uh, you know, if you had the Dare, for example, uh, which you released in March, it was obviously in festivals in 2019, right? Mm -hmm. So everybody's like, oh, it's a 2019 movie. Yes. But it's like, uh, what do you mean? It was in festivals and we're releasing in 2020. But as audience, you know, when you, like you say, like, well, I've seen this trailer before, the, the YouTube, everything says 2019. All of those things are just like, they're slowing you down, right? You have all these tabs. Now you're spending your time asking websites and chasing IMDb to like change, you know, it's like all those things you can use this energy to promote a movie, but or, or swapping the, the poster. It was there, we had a great poster, we just tweaked it a little bit. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the internet get populated with a poster that you don't like, or once you actually, the distributor spend money on making a nice newer poster on your trailer, you need to go back and, you know, once that cat is out of the, of the bag, it's very hard 
to chase the previous holster. You know, it's funny, it's, it's everybody understand the fact that the quality is always as low as the lowest link, right? And you can spend all this time and shoot it in 6K and finish it in 4K and the director and the DP get so precious about the, the aspect mm. ratio. But in the end, there is an intern at, at Google Play, right? <laughs> that copy and paste it, right? And just take the file and export it while they're on their Facebook. And, and that's how your movie's gonna end up being shown, you know? And, and the distributor is obviously the one that get, get blamed for everything, but you know, mm -hmm. you do the best you can uh, chasing and fixing all those little things and, and try to put the cat back in the bag, you know, the synopsis is out there and trailers are out there and, and posters that you don't want mm -hmm. to use, but it makes your life so much harder. That's why yeah. most bigger distributors, they like to be involved early and they like to pick up the movie when it's worldwide, it's empty, it's available, it's clear, nobody pitched it to Netflix and they said no already, nobody pitched it to Shutter and said no already. And then you can have your own strategy of when to start releasing information, which festival to open on. Uh, I'm, I once wrapped a movie with very high caliber actors uh, that should have been a Sundance movie, but it wasn't because the, the, one of the financiers live in a town that there was a film festival there, so they just opened in a very small film festival. Uh, and kill the movie, right? Um, it's can't you can't take it back and release it on Sundance and make a big fuss from the trailer, and you just can't. So I highly suggest, mm -hmm. uh, no matter what genre it is, you know, find the right sales agent, the right distributors to talk with early, and really try to focus on the five or six that are the right fit, as opposed to go to AFM and knock on doors and just give a DVD to everybody, because again. If you Lionsgate, if you ask, if you, if you, you know, bigger companies, you want to pick up a movie after everybody else passed on it. You know, it's, it's a small business. Mm -hmm. Everybody talks. It's better to just approach, you know, A24 and Lionsgate and like focus on those if it's the mm -hmm. right product for them, as opposed to just spread it around uh, to go to the right company that, that you want to go. But study the company, see that it's really is something they're looking for. Right. Well, how should filmmakers do that then? What's the best way for them to find the best companies? Obviously, do their research, which is so important anyway. But let's say they're making quite, you know, the low budget movie uh, and they haven't thought about sales and distribution beforehand, which most filmmakers don't do. It's so important to think about your route to market. So it's, but most filmmakers don't do that. So now they've got the film, they're thinking of putting it into festivals, they're thinking of approaching sales and distribution. What's the best way? Like you say, it's better to do that much earlier than that, but they haven't done that. So what should they do now? What's the best way to approach someone like yourself? My point of view, you know, even if it is 17 years in the business, 180 movies later, distribution and sales, mm. you know, 40 something in executive producing or producing, it's still only my point of view, right? I'm just, you know, one out of hundreds of producer, distributor, sales agents. So uh, take mm. everything people say with a grain of salt, including what I say. I have a very, very sensitive bullshit radar, right? Uh, maybe it's oversensitive. So I have different rules that maybe they're uh, aggressive. But for example, if I talk with a company and they kind of doing everything, you know, uh, you know, again, I went to business school, you know, there's a rule that if you try to do, to be everything for everybody, you end up being nothing for nobody. A movie like The Dare, I would have loved to have it for foreign, right? I know I could just, go out and easily sell Germany and UK and blah, 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 and just make a quick 50 grand. But I don't want to focus on that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we want to partner with people on the foreign side. I'm using my experience and my relationship to supplement and supervise and, 
and make sure, you know, keep our sales agent in check. So that's, I guess, would be tip number one. When you ask people what they want, if they tell you, oh, send me anything, everything, you know, it's like, eh, you know, maybe you guys don't know what you want because it's a tough business and a lot of companies are just opportunistic, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why they just want to look at everything. But you want a company who's focused, right? You want a company like A24 that knows exactly what they're doing, right? You want, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a social type movie, you want to go to participant, right? That's your company. Like, that's what they do. They have the experts, you know, in that field. If a company just do everything, it's probably not for you. Second thing uh, where to find them is most companies, they have acquisition people and people that their job is to watch movies or read scripts or, or to do it. Mm -hmm. Make sure to research what they have done in the past. Make sure to speak with people that work with them before. And, and again, in, in the internet age, there is no time like now that you just go on IMDb and you just click on the company, scroll down two, three years. Don't do it for the one from yesterday because they don't yeah. know yet. Go yeah. for, for two, three years ago. You click on it and then like, hey, I'm the producing movie. I'm considering, you know, going with the horror collective. How was your experience? Do you mind getting on the phone for a few minutes? If you don't feel comfortable doing it by email, we'd love to get your input. And people love talking to each other. Uh, people love giving, you know, advice and people love sharing their uh, battle scars, right? I, I would give, you know, on the other hand of that, that it's very easy to blame the distributor and the sales agent because everybody thinks that their movie deserves an Oscar and to make millions mm -hmm. of dollars and have sure. a big release. So also... You should be careful with the questions you ask. Take it with a grain of salt. It's like, I give you, I give you a, a, an example. When I buy something on Amazon, I usually scroll, I sort it by the worst review. Mm -hmm. And then I read the worst reviews. Because a lot of time, you know, you look at the product and all the bad reviews are like, I try to contact customer service. Customer service is like, I'm buying a spatula. <laughs> I'm not going to call customer service. You know, <laughs> somebody might hate their sales agent slash distributor. And turns out that they just like didn't do enough marketing on the domestic side, but you're just looking mm -hmm. at them for foreign sales, right? But maybe yeah, the foreign yeah. sales, they did amazing. You know, companies are built from different departments and different people doing different things, right? So mm -hmm. uh, kind of get down to the bottom of it. And it's like, oh, it was shit. Oh, I don't like them. I like them. Uh, because usually that doesn't tell the whole story. Connected is advice number three. Ask yes or no questions. <laughs> Right. Hmm. When you ask an open ended question, you can have an open ended answer. Right. So oh, I give you an example. Nice. Yeah. You speak with a distributor, mm -hmm. you know, you can say like, oh, are you selling to Netflix? Like, oh, yeah, we placed a lot of movies on Netflix. Right. Right. Here's a, a different way to do the question. Do you have a direct contract with Netflix? Are you a vendor for Netflix? It's a yes or no question. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, have you placed movies in the past year? Say yes or no questions, right? Do you go through a third party to place movies with Netflix, right? Do you use an agent? Do you need to go through an aggregator? You'd be surprised. And a part of why I got into domestic distribution is that I kept getting screwed by domestic distributors. <laughs> we all have. And then the more I dug into it, I find out that nobody's actually doing it. You're selling it to an agent, the agent giving it to the distributor, the distributor is giving it to an aggregator, the aggregator go through a booker. It's like, who the hell is actually the one that speaks with Walmart? Who the mm -hmm. hell is the one that speaks with iTunes? And once I started peeling off and getting closer, closer to the source, suddenly movies started to be profitable. Suddenly, you know, your movie that you made for, you know, a million dollars can make a million point five, you know, and not the opposite that you make a movie for a million and then you get, you know, a hundred from foreign and 
Now they're 100 mm-hmm. on domestic and you just lost 80%, right? And that's because you went direct because you were saying, I'm just going to go straight to the horse's mouth. And you go direct. Yeah, when you put your iTunes. movie on iTunes, iTunes takes 30%, uh, mm-hmm. which is another interesting thing to talk about because Epic mm-hmm. uh, Games, the, the company that did um, Fortnite, just started a war with Apple, which actually going to change it. But they just take 30%, right? And then the rest you keep, right? So that 70 cents on the dollar, mm-hmm. if you go through an aggregator, the aggregator will take another 10%, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people use terms very loosely and they, you know, a lot of people that are sales agents, they like to call us distributors because for some reason the word sales is a bad word. I I don't think sales is a bad word. A lot of aggregator call us distributors, a lot of agents call us distributors because distributor sounds really good or studio. Studio and it sounds sounds really good. Aggregator are companies that usually get a lot of content from a lot of companies or filmmakers and they place them on the platforms. Now, mm-hmm. I know exactly what the definition of an aggregator because it's different things for different people. For me, if you're doing more than 10 movies a month, right? And you're in the business of just getting it and place it. So you're not really dealing with the, the filmmakers. You, you don't really put too much in marketing. You know, the movies basically become a poster, a trailer, a synopsis, and a QuickTime file. You know, mm-hmm. you're an aggregator, okay? You're not a distributor. Now, aggregator used to get 20%, then 15 then 10 then 5 then companies like Deciber and Go Digital came up along mm-hmm. and started to do flat and deals and yeah. went. Yeah. Uh, so they used to just take a flat fee, you know, just pay me instead of me paying you, pay me five grand and I'll just put it up. This is a tough business, right? I mean, uh, look, we're working on, on our second movie together and you know how much uh, thought, strategy and hard work goes into it. If somebody just takes a 10%, right, they're probably not making enough money to cover the actual cost of doing this. So as a thumb rule, if somebody's asking you to pay or taking a 5 or a 10 or 15%, probably they're not really putting as much effort into what they're doing. Probably they're just pushing it down the pipeline, right? They have five people doing posts, they're copying and pasting, putting the logo mm-hmm. to do, 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 it comes out. And sometimes you want to do that. Listen, if you're just making your, you know, uh, the dare number five and somehow sure. you have the rights and yeah. you have the mailing list of a million people and you mm-hmm. already, and you just want somebody to take 5% because, you know, you can do the marketing yourself, you know, the press, you know, the people at deadline, you know, the people. Yeah. And they all love the dare four. So, you know, you're in, you're on a winner. You're on a winner. You're yeah. on a winner, right? I mean, <laughs> listen, if Orrin Pelly somehow, you know, wants to deceive yeah. it, paranormal activity, the next, you know, paranormal activity 17 on his own, paying somebody five grand to put it on iTunes and, and all the platforms might be a really, really good deal, right? Totally. Yeah. Um, if you can keep the rest. But usually the people that go to aggregators or end up with aggregators are people that don't know what they're doing, right? They're a filmmaker mm-hmm. first, second, third time. Maybe they live in the UK. You know, they mm-hmm. don't have as much uh, relationship in the US uh, or mm-hmm. Russia, like Blue of Justice, you know, they live in different yeah, like countries. Yeah, of Justice. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I see yeah. how we keep, I love how we keep plugging our movies. It's so important. We have uh, to. Which, which, yeah, about, right? <laughs> which coming out by the Horror Collective on, on October 15th, just in time Indeed. for Halloween. So you kind of need help. You need the professionals to hold your hand, to tell you, your trailer is shit, you're an idiot, let me show mm-hmm. you how to do it. It's worthwhile to you to pay a 35%, a 50%, you know, to pay somebody um, their share fare so they can use their resources and their networking and everything 
to get mm. to get your movie done. An example I, I heard actually from my uh, my father-in-law. They saw a painting in a gallery that they want to buy, but it was sold already. He, he asked the, the artist, you know, can I contact the buyer? I really want it. Maybe we can pay him and buy it from him. So the painter said, how long are you in town? I said like, uh, we're in town for another three days. Like, come in three days, you know, I'll have the painting for you, right? Okay. So after three days, they show up at the gallery, they get a painting, right? How did they agree to let go of the painting? So, oh, no, no, I just painted this, this one for you. It's like, wait a minute, you just repainted the painting? It's like, how long did this take? It says, it takes me about 12 hours. So you, you, you want a few thousand dollars to get paid for 12 hours of work? It's like, no, 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 no. I, I, I get a few thousand dollars for 40 years of experience yes plus the 12 yeah. hours of it right and yeah. and my final since is a veterinarian you know and he does you know surgery that takes 20 minutes but you know cost three grand you know he's because been using this story ever since right it's a great story yeah. it's true yeah. he's you know you're 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 a veterinarian for 45 years to allow you to do the surgery for 20 minutes which is shorter better for the dog you know, sometimes mm -hmm. if you hear that the surgery is 10 hours, you think, oh, that's well, so a short surgery in. is a good, it's a good thing, right? <laughs> so it's kind of the same, you know, yes. if, if you have uh, Lionsgate is releasing a movie, yeah, another plug, releasing another plug, uh, the, the Dare in the UK, in the yes. UK right? <laughs> if, if Lionsgate negotiating with you and they want to take 50% and your lawyer or your agent or your manager or one of those, you know, people that are usually not helpful can mm -hmm. get into that later trying to convince you to go with somebody else because they take only 30 or only 20, only 10, you're an idiot because, you know, it's only 30% more. If you think Lionsgate is going to make 30% more in revenue and more for your career and more for other things, but mainly in revenue, right? You're already making more money, right? So I, I can't, uh, you know, I'm sure there's countless of movies that I lost throughout the year because of 5%. And okay. they went with a smaller person that desperate, a new company, desperate for content, every market, every can, there was five or 10 new sales agents. And because they're desperate to get content, they will go down to 10 to five to 15%, but they don't do the, enough sales. You know, it's a one man operation. They haven't been doing mm -hmm. this a long time. They worked for somebody else for two years and they think they, it's like, be smart about the money, okay? Don't just look at those things like, the marketing spend, the, you know, people like, oh, we need to put a cap. Oh, this company is just going to take 10,000 10, marketing. Mm -hmm. Okay. The question is how much you're going to spend, not how much you're going to take, right? Yes. Who's doing the sales? Is it the CEO? Is it the owner? Or is it, you know, he, you know, there's an army of, of interns that basically taking meetings. Those are the questions to ask. Fascinating. So there's so many things that filmmakers just don't understand about sales and distribution. They just don't. And it's amazing. I started writing a book uh, called 101 Ways to, to Screw or to Fuck Filmmakers, um, the, the complete guide of getting screwed in Hollywood. Um, I, that, I, I need to finish writing it. I just got busy. Do. The story of the Horror Collective is actually interesting because Mm. It really started with this wonderful uh, filmmaker, uh, Graham Den Denman, that um, made a film called Greenlight with yes. Carolyn Williams, who was in a few of my movies, and she's, you know, a wonderful actress. And they keep coming to me, asking to release the movie, and, you know, we don't trust anybody else, blah, 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 you know, the usual spiel. And, you know, it's like, listen, I just sold my company. I'm like playing golf, skydiving, I'm doing anything but, you know, going back <laughs> into, into this, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, like... Yeah, because you sold Epic to just get away from it for a little to bit, To right? get away for a little bit. And also because, you know, I want to go back to the basics, you know, spend more time talking with filmmakers, spend more time making movies, spending more time uh, doing that. I really want to like scale down to do, you know, less project, but more impact. 
mm. um, and more volunteering, you know, I do something called the, the Entertainment Free Clinic, which I start the organization, we give free advice. It's kind of like a biz advice to mm -hmm. uh, filmmakers. Usually they bring their contracts, they bring their uh, priceless, they bring their reports and we help them yep. find the money. You know, I'm not a lawyer myself, no. we're not chasing the money for them but you know like oh you know germany probably something hiding here or something hiding there and then it's their job to either hire a lawyer or email their sales agent or distributor or agent so that's amazing you do that can some of the filmmakers yeah. listening now get in touch with you through that the way that i get the people i just send an email through um, my network and through the ucla um, entertainment group and you know it kind of spreads but i'm happy to take people from your podcast let's just say i'll set up an email called podcast at entertainmentfreeclinic.org and uh, people can just uh, email me from there and I'll send them the link to set up an appointment. We usually do it, I do it once a month on a Friday, the last Friday of the month. And usually I devote something like four hours. So it's 15 or half an hour, depends on the type of, you know, problem or career advice or whatever they, you know, mentorship they want to do. Wow. I've I've literally just persuaded you and I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah. but no, it's okay. Every, every time I talk to you, I have, I have hours of more work, but this is why, yeah. this is why I love you. Yeah, it's always yeah, exciting. I love you too. It's so cool. Thank you so much. I think people are very happy with that. But my experience with the Horror Collective was, it's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed working with you. Thank You've you. been very honest and open from the very beginning about how it works. Uh, and talking to myself and Julian Kostov, the producer of The Dare and Bullets of Justice with myself, um, has just been really eye-opening. Because you've just said how it is, hence why I wanted you to get on, because there is so much talk about predatory distributors and people who will look to rip off filmmakers. And what I loved about you guys is you didn't. I, I've got access to every sale. I've got access to where that money's going and where you're putting in spend and where you're doing bits of advertising. I, I can see it all. There's no, you're not pulling the wool over my eyes going, oh, let's see if we can steal some money off these guys, chuck it in here. Actually, we're spending it on this one or going to Cannes or going on holidays or whatever, you know, pretending we're at film markets and putting money on across everything. You're actually being very honest. And I've loved that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the shout out. It's also, I find it easier because when you start cheating and you know, it's like now you need to have all this like accountants, like you need to have walls between the filmmakers and, and the owner mm -hmm. and, and, you know, for me, it's like, you just forward information, right? You just yeah. forward it. And, and I bet that I end up making more money by not having a battery of accountants. There's always, when you ask for a report, it's always like, oh, next month, next month. You know, it's like, I don't have those people. It just make the process easier. What should a filmmaker do when their film is being distributed then? What should, what the things that distribute would, would help them so a filmmaker's now got their film with a distributor, it's coming out. What should the filmmaker do? I think that actually working with you guys on the dare was really great. And I tell you, uh, I'll tell, I guess I'll tell the listeners uh, some mm -hmm. good thing to do. The filmmakers for me, they are the film, they represent the film, right? Yep. So as a distributor, even a boutique distributor like ours that release a movie every month or two, if we need to set up a, a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, for each movie and now tweet and do everything from our accounts and then from each movie, we, we handle it internally. We don't spend 10 grand on some social media company that's gonna do it. Even if you distributor, if you have a bigger release and you distributor spend 10, 15 grand on a social media company to handle social media, they're only gonna be there for the two or three months of release. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly, I mean, you're sure as, as audience, I'm sure you all know those 
Twitter accounts that have been tweeting in, you know, two years yeah, and two they're years kind of dead. just silly. So yeah, yeah. my suggestion is, is that again, how I see the distributor working hand in hand with the filmmakers is to have them manage uh, things like that, manage the, the page, uh, help get and rally the, the, the other filmmakers, the writer, the DP, uh, in this case is very involved, uh, the cast. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very important for them to be engaged. It's hard for the distributor to deal with the executive producers, sometimes an agent or a sales agent, but also with a director, writer, and all the cast individually. So it's good to have somebody who kind of wrangle them together and pass information. Uh, for example, uh, this film we just released called Mass Hysteria, uh, we're just releasing this weekend. The filmmakers did, did done an amazing job of maintaining contacts with cast and crew. They have a mailing list of like 300 people that uh, friends and family of the film and they keep keeping them updated. They use the MailChimp or constant content or one of those services to help them reach out. I think they're for free if you don't, you know, you're not a pro user. Mm -hmm. So all those things are things that the filmmakers can do. What's more in interesting or I think important to hear is things not to do <laughs> as a filmmaker. Yeah. Right. The filmmaker and the distributor need to work together like mommy and daddy, like a, like a, like a parents on, on this release. If mommy and daddy fight, the kids notice. If you're a director or a producer and you're very much into like your own trailer and your own poster, you need to be careful because I would suggest listen to the distributor and try to take their advice. But the worst thing to do is to just not to promote the movie or to go against it because you wanted other things, right? And, and I've seen this before that you release the official poster and then suddenly the director or the director's friend suddenly pushing a different poster or a different trailer mm -hmm. or because the ads are not or the tweets are with the artwork that they don't like or with an image of an actress that they didn't get along with. Mm -hmm. Suddenly now they're not retweeting, they're not promoting the movie. And it's like that does hurt everyone, that hurt the movie and whatever hurt the film and eventually hurts the career of everybody involved the way I, I see it, everybody's really connected. And this is why connecting to our previous conversation that I have an issue with managers, agents and, and lawyers because their set of incentives is sometimes not aligned with the incentives of the filmmakers and distributor, which is make more money, right? Because making more money means more eyeballs, right? More eyeballs, more publicity, more um, exposure for the filmmakers, the cast. Uh, that for me all goes in the same way. If you're a sales agent and all you do is get a piece from the MG or something like this, you have a set of incentives that is different and you see it sometimes. And after working for so long in the movie business, it's also like you kind of know, oh, they're their agents, so they don't care about how many screens, they just want to see an MG, you can get more on other terms or this, you know, you kind of get, start getting to know what's important for different agents, which, you know, good for us and good for people in the business, but probably not the best for the filmmakers that might have different incentive. Maybe you're trying to finance a sequel. Mm -hmm. Maybe if the dare for you as a filmmaker, you would take 20% less of the deal if you had a commitment to release the dare too, right? It would be more important mm -hmm. for you. But if your sales agent basically just make commission based on, on advances, then they couldn't care less. So do you think people should set up their social medias almost when, before they're shooting the movie? Have it going so they can put teasers in there and everything so it builds up a following um, that the filmmaker is running? 
Yes and no. Uh, yes, they should set it up, but they should set up, I would say even earlier, even in, in development, because you see movies that just have, have names that are just terrible or they're not discoverable. Mm -hmm. and, and again, this is why it's important. And I love being involved from development because there are things that you change in the script level, uh, even as a title, to help the movie. You know, if you search the, try to search the title or a hashtag or try to figure out how to to promote the film you need to do it well in advance because then you start changing the title but you already played festivals with a different title and a different poster mm -hmm. so yes set it up and start releasing things but again don't release your big ammunition don't release a trailer don't release a poster um okay. you know i i'm a fan of at the beginning you have social media for the cast and crew Right. So you can take pictures on set and, and mm -hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff and get the first 50 to 100 followers because that's basically your cast yeah. and crew yeah. and their, their siblings their and their friends. Their and friends. Now you're starting. Yeah. Yes. And that's yeah. a start. But once you get to the official stuff, have the distributor involved. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, and have a strategy. Also, you don't want to release things too early. Right. Like we have a movie releasing in January. Stuff that you're going to release now on Halloween because it's a horror movie. There is this itch, you know, it's like, oh, it's Halloween. We should, you know, release stuff now. But in the end of the day, between now, there is Halloween, Thanksgiving, elections, Christmas. Mm -hmm. Christmas By the yeah. time we're going to get to January, everything people saw or heard is going to be forgotten. Right. So you yeah. kind of want to save most of your big guns to like 30 to even two weeks before the release. Um, and not release them too early. But definitely put all those things, things a little bit like a website, like e-commerce, because a lot of what we do is e-commerce. So if you have um, names that are one word, they're hard to find or something too common. Mm -hmm. uh, we released a movie called uh, Blood Vessel, which did very, very mm -hmm. well, but it's very hard to find because especially now with COVID, it's like if you search Blood Vessel, there's just oh, a million yes. things. Yeah, so. And there was the Vin Diesel film called Blood Something as well. So uh, the, the, it can get confusing very easily with your title, can't oh, it? Oh my God. And I was so surprised that the dare hadn't been used. Yeah. It was, it, I mean, it, there's dare or dare you or truth or dare, but yeah. the dare, I was like, okay, cool. That, there's no other movie. Fine, got away with it. Yeah, what comes up with the dare is uh, there is a police program called dare um, yeah. in the US, which is not bad, you know, it's, it's okay to be mixed with that. that. Yeah. I made, uh, I executive produced a film called Entertainment. Uh, it was a Sundance mm -hmm. movie in 2000 and I want to say 16 was in Sundance. A uh, beautiful movie, art house uh, film with uh, John C. Riley and uh, nice. Michael Sarah as a cameo there. Um, just, the yeah. problem is with the name Entertainment that you really cannot find it. Right. I did an experiment once how many words I need to add, like entertainment, <laughs> movie, the director's name, the cast name, like until before, until you even came up before I see the movie as the first entry in Google. And it was like maybe five or six words, something like that before. Wow. Yeah. So just yeah. think about that, you know, think about Title's it. Important. Yeah, Title's, Title's important. Title's important. If you put yeah. Two Heads Creek in Google or, or mm -hmm. Twitter, you know, you'll find our movie. There's no toys it. around it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or you might find the actual place. Um, the only other thing that with the dare that I found was a, a soft porn novel called the dare. Yeah. I thought that um, that was intentional. Yeah. yeah no, I, I wrote that, put it out as a, as a sort of a, a secret Easter egg <laughs> to the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about when people are approaching you now? Cause now you're established. The horror collective is established. Shaked and Jonathan. And Heidi. And Heidi. Of course. Of course. A lovely Heidi. What's the best way for people to approach you now with their films that is a festival is it just submissions what should people do to to approach a distributor so first of all we're in the business of 
talking to filmmakers. We welcome uh, submissions, but the horror collective is only looking for completed projects, which means they should either be completed, completed or in post-production, or maybe they, they have financing and they're going into production and they want somebody to help start doing publicity at that point. We are not looking to make, develop, make or finance other people's films. And the main reason is, is, you know, when you do this for 17 years, movies are kind of like children. Most people want to make their own. They don't want to adopt, they right? They like others. Yeah, they don't <laughs> like others, right? Uh, people adopt kind of when they have no choice or, or, you know, whatever reasons, different reasons they have. But most people want to make their own kids. And films mm -hmm. are like that. And, you know, between yourself and 11 directors on Tales of Halloween, and three on Turbo Kid, two on Radius. I mean, I can yeah. just go on and on with the list. You know, yeah. I have, what, 50, 60, you know, acquaintances to close friends who are writers, directors that want to make their movies, you know? So the right. next movie that if I decide to put money in or to finance is probably gonna be a sequel or, or something with people that I already work with. There is no reason for me, you know, I, I get enough from my close circle I get mm. enough scripts a month to, to, you know, for a lifetime. What we are looking for is cool completed or films that are going into productions. You know, ideally earlier is better for us so we can help them get into the festivals. We can help them navigate and, and put a strategy of where to do their world premiere and all that kind of stuff. So that's really the best stage to find us. You can always email to info at thehorrorcollective.com. And you look specifically for horror films, right? Obviously, it's the horror collective. So let's not people out there listening going, oh, I've got a great sci-fi that has horror elements or I have a great comedy that has horror elements. I are you looking for all kinds or you? I mean, because Two Head Creeks is obviously a brilliant comedy, but it's also got a lot of horror elements. But, you know, The Dare is horror, you know, um, Greenlit's horror, Blood Vessel is horror. Like I say, are you open to pushing further the boat or it's it's the horror collective obviously it's horror but the genre it's it's really for horror fans but horror fans you know a subsection you know there is sci-fi horror released a, a beautiful mm -hmm. movie called shifter which is yes you know pretty pure sci-fi but it has body horror in it and, and it appealed to mm -hmm. horror audience so we do look for things in that vein but definitely the thought is who are the right people for horror audience for people that like horror that follow those magazines follow those websites uh because that's where we we, we are going to be right that's where yeah. our press is going to be that's where our marketing is going to be so uh those type of films obviously you know sci-fi it's such a big genre right it's a space sci-fi mm -hmm. and you know pe people sci-fi fantasy you know can be you know can be a game of Thrones or can be you know aliens right now the parent company of the horror collective my company entertainment squad we we actually have several labels so beside the horror collective we have a family animation label. Now that label is actually making those movies. So we are looking for family and kids projects and also animation. There is a label for Jewish and um, Hebrew speaking and Jewish uh, films. Uh, that mm -hmm. one, we're not making movies. We're just picking up films from festivals. We provide distribution services to other companies. The movies come out on their names, but you know, we, we help them with distribution, we consult with them and we help them place it. Through that, we released like the Tony Hawk documentary, Pretending I'm a Superman, that just came mm -hmm. out, or the Quentin Tarantino documentary. We're now closing a deal with an LGBTQ brand that wants to do more distribution. So 
Uh, we're okay. basically going to be providing them consulting and, and access to our pipeline. Uh, you might what, say that we're a bit of an aggregator on that side. But, but you're doing it the right way. <laughs> well, we are an aggregator for them, but we're consulting for them and they're not going to be, you know, those, those labels not releasing more than one movie every quarter, you know. So a part of the deal, like they, they have marketing and PR and, you know, they, they, they really do a right way of, quote-unquote self-distribution right so they have the entire team and we also consulting with them and helping them with the release date we're helping them um with you know if they need um introduction to pr whatever whatever they need uh we're consulting with them on, on that side then they go through our pipeline yes great and what I'm, um, what's the best like say they approach you they send an email to info at the horror collective.co.uk or the entertainment squad whichever banner it fits under but what's the best way to approach you is it hey you know, I like this film, I like that film, and here's my film. Do you want a trailer there? Do you want a poster? Do you just want the link to the film? What's, what is the best way to sort of even send an email to actually go, hello? Obviously, you want as much information possible, but you also want it clarity. You know, if, if, you, mm -hmm. have, if you have a completed movie looking for distribution, you literally can send an email saying completed movie for distribution in the name of the movie, and just here's the trailer, you know? <laughs> Take yeah. a look and let me know if you're interested. Like, great email, right? I don't need to hear Perfect. your life story. Yeah. You know, I heard you in a podcast and I saw this yeah, movie yeah. and I thought, I know they teach this. It's like, you know, try to give a compliment. You know, we really like what you do. It's like, you know, in the end of the day, we're all busy people. You know, you don't want to spend too much time <laughs> drafting those love letters that now somebody sure. need to read. I like a compliment when people write to me. I, I expect uh, <laughs> <You're compliment. laughs> it's, it's to start, start and end with a compliment. No, exactly. But, I've got nothing to sell. Yeah, so, but, yeah exactly. uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, people like Heidi and like Jonathan, you know, they get paid to watch the trailers and, and if yeah. they like it to, to ask for the, the full screener and more information and set up calls. Okay. Obviously, we like if we have a link to the entire movie so we can watch it if mm -hmm. you like it instead of like, chasing the filmmaker. With that said, I would never recommend sending it. So um, as, as a distributor or sales agent, obviously you want as much information as possible. If I, mm. as, as a filmmaker, I tell you, do not do that, right? Because, you know, it's almost like first date or, or like swiping and like people from the trailer, they know pretty much if they're in the vein of what they're looking for or want, they can always find it on IMDb and you can add an IMDb Pro link to it, you know, to for who's the director, mm. who's the cast. I get many emails that have the screener already on it and sometimes it is on Vimeo and they still have the option to download. Sometimes it's wow. a link on Google Drive. I mean, you won't believe. Wow. Um, wow. People are not as careful as they should be on sending mm. links. So I would highly recommend not sending the link unless you actually have contact that somebody says they're interested. So trailer and poster and say, hey, if you want the movie, let me know. Exactly. Right? If you want to see a full, full feature, you know, please contact me. I recommend a service. I'm going to plug uh, a service. I, I will, mm -hmm. disclaimer, I'm, I'm friends with the CEO. So, you know, I like him to get nice. business, but with a, a website a service called Indie, I-N-D-E-E. Dot TV. I believe it's actually free at the beginning, uh, but if you cross a certain amount of screeners, you need to pay like 25 bucks a month, you know? So for a hundred bucks, you can have four months of screeners. You can make Great. individual screeners. They're personally watermark. You can track if people watch them, how many times they watch them. For example, you sent a hundred screeners, you shouldn't, but let's say you send a hundred screener and then Netflix made an offer and you want to shut it off to everybody, you can control it. It's very bad, those Vimeo links and then like, oh, I tried to watch it, you need to change the password. 
you know, you send it to somebody, you don't want them to have it. Now you need to update everybody. It's such a mess. You know, it's, it's worth the 20 yeah. bucks. And I believe if you just have one movie and you have under a certain amount of screeners, it's completely free. And if not, maybe we can give a coupon for the Filmmakers Podcast. I can speak with him oh, yeah. to give, give amazing, a free month yeah. or something for, for your that audience. That would be amazing. I think that's such a great way to do it, especially for festivals, right? Because you're always sending off your screeners to festivals. You never hear anything back. It gets lost. And that sounds great. Indie.tv. I-N-D-E-E. -E, yeah, Indie.tv. I think a lot of our filmmakers will go, yeah, thank you. Well, your, mov your movies are on my account. So if you never need screeners, <laughs> you can, yeah, no, you can yeah. as our account. <laughs> it's true though. Sometimes I do. People will go, can I watch the movie? And I'm like, oh, okay, I better find one. Um, That's really useful to know. So look, The Dare is available in the USA and Canada now. It's now in the UK. It's uh, There's various other territories around the world that it is available. But you started it off. You started the ball rolling. And it was amazing that, um, you know, the response it got in America and I, I was so pleased with how you handled it honestly I thought it was great hence why I brought you what myself and Julian said let's let's speak to the guys about Bullets of Justice which is this batshit crazy movie starring Danny Trejo yeah, very which exciting. is out on October the 15th it's uh, it's proper batshit but horror fans are gonna love it it's proper culty and <laughs> yeah we actually uh, we actually got quite a few pre-orders pre on, on Vimeo I don't know the numbers on iTunes until it's out but um, right. we, we already got so people are excited about it totally it's been around a while and it's, it's very exciting but we're so glad you're handling it so thank it's you. super exciting uh, Shaked Berenson this has been amazing thank you so much for your time people should be honoured to get this not many people get this so thank you um, where can people follow you and find you on Twitter I'm the easiest to find because my name nobody has it it's Shaked Berenson S-H-A-K-D B-E-R-E-N-S-O-N so it's at Shaked Berenson on, on Twitter uh, on Instagram although my Instagram is personal it's mainly dog pictures um, <laughs> on Facebook, um, I do have um, a professional one, which is Shaked Berenson EP. Uh, please nice. go there as opposed to my personal one because that's uh, usually just my friends and family. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. We have contacts on our website. And please, you know, go on uh, thehorrorcollective.com or the horror call on uh, Twitter and YouTube, Facebook. You know, it's, it's all of them. It's the horror call and subscribe to us and to get more news about the dare love it obviously the dare but uh, the other movies as well because you, what you're creating is something magical I love what you're doing I love the, the horror crowd I love the whole collective behind it it's just wonderful and if Covid wasn't here you know the, it would all be different you know I'd be over there now and we'd be having events and parties and celebrations and talking about the next films and stuff but we will we'll be back on it soon uh, thank you so much Shaked um, please get in touch with him and say thank you for his time and what he's given you today really appreciate it right everyone thank you so much for listening remember you can go out there and make your indie film you can make it happen be careful and be clever about your distribution and marketing strategy and go make your film and if you're lucky to rise up and do well it's your duty to send the elevator back down we will see you next tuesday as always shaked thank you very much thank you i've been giles alderson uh, you can follow me at giles alderson on twitter at the filmmakers pod or at the dare movie go watch it go support till next week take care bye bye